0: I'm Eugene Kim, and I welcome you to On Death, the podcast where we talk about death through the four prompts. I am, before I die I want, when I die I want, and after I die I want. This week we sit down with Becky Orton. Becky is a 45-year-old mother, CrossFitter, and member of the Church of Latter-day Saints. I met Becky while coaching at CrossFit Juggernaut in New Hampshire before entering medical school. She and her daughter would work out together, and I initially thought they were sisters, a testament to her energy and love of life. During this conversation, we discuss motherhood and the story of her eight children, four biological and four adoptive, the experience of losing Ben, and the rewards of fostering medically fragile children. Before we talk more about Becky and this really great conversation that we have together, I want to talk about my long-form Sunday's posts. These are my weekly reflections of medical school from their very first anatomy lab of first year to now, uh, interview season, having a child, and uh, you can actually might be able to hear him cooing in the background as he's feeding. And uh, you can find these all in their entirety at, uh, at, I just recently changed domains, So you can look up uh, EugeneH.Kim, or you can go even to the old one, MNMod.com, mobility and mindfulness work of the day. I'm in the process of rebranding. And uh, yeah, I'll tell you a little bit more about that. Some some changes are, are coming up ahead. Anyway, on uh, November 25th, 2018, I published On the Third Trimester, or Baby Chronicles Part 3. This week, I reflected on the third trimester. Uh, On that day, my partner began labor, and I considered the many changes ahead and already done. Then, on uh, December 2nd, 2018, I published On a Birthday, or Baby Chronicles Part 4. This week, I reflected on the labor and delivery of our son, Junsu, Stefan Kim so uh as i said again you can uh, go to eugene Kim or mnmwad.com for all the posts uh to read them online for free or you can go to amazon look up uh, on the education of a physician or you can just type in physician education and it'll be the first thing that popped up these are collected uh all the collected first second and third year reflections in uh, either kindle or paperback format for you so uh Back to, or before let me, before we go back to Becky, I'll just do some more uh, housekeeping stuff. So this will be the final episode of the season. Um, I, I like to take, a, last year I started taking a break um, from through winter, and then I'll resume in spring. And I'll do that again this year, especially with Baby here. Uh, he's about a week and a half old right now. And I'm thinking it'd be really nice to take a little bit of a break for the from the podcast, at least releasing new episodes. So what I will be doing is I'll be re-releasing excellent interviews from the past uh, throughout this winter season, so don't you worry, it will still be showing up in your podcast feed for you. Um, however, the next new episode will be on March 28th, uh, 2019, and that will be right after I match for uh, residency, so I'll have all sorts of wacky stuff to tell you. But until then, don't worry, I'll still be show- throwing uh, good episodes into your feeds. So uh, back to Becky. Becky is a 45-year-old wife of 25 years, a mother to eight children, a CrossFitter, a member of the Church of Latter-day Saints, and a joyful person. Before Becky dies, she wants to serve a humanitarian mission with her husband and and to travel to see her children. When Becky dies, she wants to leave behind a legacy of love. After Becky dies, she wants to see her children continue that legacy and just be good humans and make the world a better place. In conclusion, Becky says... There are so many children that need home, so many, especially with this drug epidemic. So many babies are being taken away. Obviously, I wouldn't go back and change my biological children, but had I known sooner, I maybe would have adopted in between having biological children. The need is just so great, and it is the most rewarding experience that you can have. And I say that 100%. I don't know what could be more rewarding than taking a child in that needs a home. I encourage people to do it. So... This was, I, I had so much fun with this conversation. I knew Becky, um, as I mentioned before, from coaching CrossFit up in New Hampshire, and uh, I didn't really know about her fostering of children uh, up there. But then when I moved down to Florida for my first two years of medical school, I started seeing uh, on social media her posts about uh, the medically fragile children that she has in her life. And uh, I was like, A, that's a really great way to phrase somebody, uh, really... Uh, really wonderful phrase to encompass you know all of these people that really depend on the medical system and on a lot of care um so i really have kind of adopted that into my lexicon as well and these the 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 challenges associated with it you know i see her going in and out of the hospital and we had initially uh planned for this interview a while back but uh then one of her one of her children i believe it was joe uh got admitted and she had to stay in the hospital and was like let's put this on pause and we can hit hit um come back to this whenever whenever appropriate and then uh in between that first initial interview and then this actual interview uh or that first initial like kind of scheduled interview uh she adopted liam or uh and this is the, the story about liam and how he comes into their life is really wonderful and i don't want to spoil it um i just see that there's a you know, there there are some people that I've interviewed for this podcast that have had a like a really wonderful story arc. That there's a that there's like there's this there's this struggle. There's a, a low and then there's a, some sort of sign. And you can interpret this from a higher being, from from spirit, from God, however you want to describe it. But there's something that's like there is this is a um there's a sign that this is not just a um that, that, that there's something happening here and another person that has happened with was jim goodrow he's a retired vascular surgeon published that interview this season on uh august 19th and uh, with his son kevin uh you know the, you, if you go back and listen to it you'll, you'll you'll understand what i mean but with with liam there's this there's this like oh the, the, the story has kind of circled back and it is, um, it's not done by any means, but it is at, 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 definitely at a different phase than before. And I really, uh, was, I was crying during the interview, she was crying during the interview, it was, there were a lot of tears, but it's because it was, there's a lot of life and a lot of love in her story. And um, I think that there's just something really beautiful about the way that she talks about these spiritual confirmations about whether or not she should have these children in her life. And then there's also, uh, you know, people talk about CrossFit, and and but I think that she ha- she utilizes the 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 method of CrossFit, the community of CrossFit, in a way that other people don't. In that she needs to be a strong woman to To be a mother to these f- uh, four medically fragile children, and it's uh, it's really or like three medically fragile, four four adoptive children, and uh, it's just really it's really beautiful. And uh, she she opens up about some of her medical history that I, I was really grateful to to receive because uh, these are things that women don't talk about in terms of losing pregnancies, and and uh, you'll see. And it's it's just a really great conversation and we were a little pressed for time because you know as a mother of eight children uh you know only four in the, are in the house and sticking around but it's still like there's a lot of lot of effort that needs to be done so I only got her for like a short hour and I really wish I could have gotten her for four uh and you know what maybe I'll, I'll come back circle uh, circle back with Becky in, in another couple of years um maybe after the humanitarian mission maybe after uh, you know as as her, her medically fragile children pass it's it's really um she's a beautiful person and And she's really an inspiration, especially now as I've become a father, um, just seeing how much strength she has. Like I didn't really appreciate it during the interview, but now I'm really starting to see like, oh, my son Junsu is, I was just talking with Mackenzie about this before I recorded, our son Junsu is pretty easy. And, you know, we're, we're still struggling with sleep, lack of sleep, and, like, his fussiness. But, however, he's still a pretty easy baby. And I can't, uh, I, I, I'm just really in awe of her strength as a mother. And I'm really starting to understand how much uh, motherhood is a real hard road to walk. Um, so, anyway, I hope that you are real jazzed and ready to listen to this great conversation with Becky Orton on death. It is October 31st, 2018, Halloween Day, and I'm sitting here in my Coopersburg home, and Becky Orton is sitting in the driveway to her Guilford, New Hampshire home, and we're going to be talking about death through the four prompts. Becky, what are the four prompts?
1: The four prompts are, I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want.
0: Excellent. Now, how do you finish that first prompt, I am?
1: I am a 45-year-old wife of 25 years. I am a mother to eight children, four biological, and four, um, well, almost four are adopted. Mm -hmm. And I am a CrossFitter. I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm -hmm. And I am a joyful person.
0: Yes, you are. Okay. So we got, we got a lot of good ground to cover. So um, mm-hmm. the first thing you mentioned on that list is you are a wife of, you are 45 years old and a wife of 25 years. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, loaded, <laughs> loaded wacky question, of course, but what was marriage like from year one to year 25? Like what, oh. like, yeah, how, do you wow. even, how do you even compare what the, what the, what you've learned about what it means to be in marriage, like all that stuff.
1: Wow. Uh, A huge difference. I mean, going into marriage at such an early age, it was, um, I I think I was really naive. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, I have learned that I married the right person. Mm -hmm. And he is the most amazing, supportive husband that I could ever ask for. So Mm -hmm. as marriage has um, increased in years, um, that realization to me has increased as well. And especially at this point in my life, um, I feel very, very lucky to have him. So
0: yeah, and it sounds like uh, you know, things that we'll touch on later. It sounds like you had some some tragedies, some difficulties mm-hmm. along the way. And uh I'm really yep. interested to see how uh we, we'll touch back on how that those those events affected your relationship and how it sounds like you use that to grow together rather than apart, which is absolutely a very important thing to to note. Yep. Okay. So, uh, you got married at a young age. Um, and uh, I, I mean, I, this, this to me at least goes in, in part with your religious faith and background. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, what was, what was the spiritual background of your childhood?
1: Um, so I belong to the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We are Christian. Um, I am a strong, um, faith-based person. My parents raised me to be that way. I have a large family that I come from. Um, I have six other biological siblings and a few adopted as well as probably over 50 foster children that my mom fostered over the years. And so, um, yeah, so we, we had a lot of kids in and out of our house growing up and it was a, and actually it was a mostly positive experience as hard as it was. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's not something that I would wish differently. Um, I, I think it kind of shaped me into who I am today. And, um, you know, I think, part of our religion is very family based. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we focus a lot on the family. And so from a very young age, just, um, I think instinctively I just wanted that for myself and I wanted to be a wife and mother more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Had no interest in a career. I like being a mom is what I wanted to be. So.
0: And it sounds like you jumped into that with like all the, the fervor and professional, like, (laughs) <laughs> um, like grit that, re- that is required to be, to really be the mom. It's, uh, yes. yes. Um, so like, uh, just a little thing, something you probably didn't know about me, but I, when I was growing up, um, for, through like middle school through high school, my parents uh, would have Korean children come over to, from from Korea to stay with us. When we would we wouldn't foster them, but they would stay with us for like a season, like a winter or a couple of years as they learned English and and oh, wow. applied to college. So, um, and we had like up to like I think twenty children at uh, staying at one point, but we also had like three two three two or three kids that stayed for like four or five years. So wow, so, so you had
1: kind yeah. of siblings like me <laughs> yeah yeah
0: just like i understand like that well uh, I, I i can at least imagine what it's like to have that kind of revolving door very fluid mm-hmm. family kind of sensation going on um but i, I imagine a lot of listeners don't you know they might have right. a brother sister mother father maybe a couple aunts and uncles but like what was and and it's hard for you to describe what it was like because you don't know what 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 different experience there was. So uh, but like what uh what did you learn from all of that growing up in such a, a fluid household?
1: Um so I mean I like I absolutely loved having having siblings, especially mm-hmm. my biological siblings. Um it was hard having um foster care foster kids um as siblings mostly because they came with a lot of baggage. Mm -hmm. But um, the thing that I respected about my parents um, was that they would always sit us down together as a family before they took in another foster child. Mm -hmm. And they would say, this is the situation. This is the child. This is what's going on. I mean, obviously they wouldn't tell us everything, but um, as much as they could tell us, and then they would say, are you, you know, how do you feel about, about having this child come into our home? And and 100% every time it was yes mm-hmm. for us you know we were excited we were on board but you know as a normal um child i would say that after a few weeks you know the the newness wore, wore off and then it was like okay can they leave now <laughs> <laughs> but but for the most part like i said it was very positive and you know my mom did a lot of good for these children in, in their lives so mm-hmm. yeah and it helped me to like also want a large family. Like I told myself, I always wanted seven children. I didn't. I didn't actually know that I was going to do foster care. I actually thought I probably wouldn't because the um, it's very. It can be very difficult on biological children when you bring in kids with a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like I walked away unscathed from that, but I have heard, you know, other stories where it has affected biological children in the home. Mm -hmm. So you have to, you know, kind of be careful. And my mom learned from experience with that, where she would usually um, try to have the opposite sex and an older, like either much older or much younger than some of the children that were in her home at the time. So Mm -hmm. she kind of like, you know, had a good balance of oh
0: i see like being very intentional about the dynamics that she's creating yes
1: because she learned like when you had the same sex the same age you know there was a competition Mm. between the siblings and so that made it very difficult so she tried to avoid as she as she grew and matured in her fostering you know she learned from experience and so she i thought she did very well with that
2: Mm
0: -hmm. so yeah yeah so um I'm also struck by you know and and this is something that I understand about uh the the uh the church of latter day saints is that they are they are very very family focused and in a way that yes. um people from from the outside looking in might not understand, and I mm-hmm. think that one way that I'm really struck by it is sort of. The way that your mother and that you are walking the walk, not just talking the talk about like, you know, supporting the people around you, but actually taking people from outside your home, taking them inside your home and really, and giving them love and helping and giving them a family, at least for a little bit. um, And then sometimes for their whole life. And uh, I'm really struck by that because that's, you know, it's, it's easy for me to like donate $20 to like a, you know, the wildlife fund, but it's a whole different thing for me to go and stop people from cutting down trees, you know, and that's sort of like the, that's the difference that you have there. And so what, uh, what, what is the experience of walking the walk?
2: Oh,
1: it's been amazing. I mean, you know, it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's very hard, but, um, it's very rewarding. And, um, you know, obviously I chose it, Mm -hmm. Although I have to say that, I I mean, I I did choose it, but I also feel like, um, my path was kind of guided that way, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think, um, a lot of it stemmed from my fourth child, Ben, who I lost. So,
0: yeah. And so, um, I think this is a good point to start to at least talk about your children and maybe Ben a little bit, because, um, you're the, you know, you're a wife of uh, 25 years, 45 years old, and then you started talking about your kids, right? And then, but then you also mentioned before the interview that the transition to adoption and fostering was uh, after the death of Ben. Yep. And so... um, You know, tell me about like the difference between raising that first child, you know, take like bringing that first life into the world to the most recent uh, one, Liam, uh, you know, this this fostering adoption, you know, like, all that, that wackiness in between. Tell me a little bit about
1: it. <laughs> it's a long story, but mm-hmm. um, so my first child, Kayla, I was 22 years old when she was born. And um, I remember, even though it was a really hard pregnancy um and even delivery the minute she was born I was like I want another one I I just (laughs) this is fantastic like this baby you just like instantly love them and you're just like oh my gosh if I love her this much you know what is it going to be like to have other kids and like I told you I wanted to have a big family and so I mean I was like just full full force from the beginning on motherhood. I just was like, you know, give me all the kids. <laughs> and so, um, I had my, my four, my oldest four pretty quickly. Cause, um, when Kayla was, I think 14 months, I delivered my second.
0: Oh, wow. To, yeah. You really uh, were like, let's get these kids going.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Caleb was born. And, um, so he was my second born and then, um, he was, like 2 I think when Stevie was born and then they were they were a little bit further apart as I went along but Ben um was my last biological child that Probably. I had so when Ben was born I was 27 I think okay or 28 yeah I remember going to my 10 year high school reunion and and <laughs> everyone was like wow I I mean I'm I'm just getting a career and you have four children but that's cool <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so anyway, I um, had my, my fourth child, Ben, who, um, do you want me to dive into that? Yes,
0: please. That whole company? story? It's
1: yeah. It's so um, my first three children were, I, I hate to use the word normal because what is normal, but, you know, they were, I guess, as normal as you could be. Mm-hmm. And um, Ben, when I was pregnant with him, um, I had a lot of different movements inside of me that I thought felt like what I would describe as seizures I wasn't sure. Um, I approached my four different doctors from my practice about it and they each were like, that's normal. A lot of women describe movements that way. And I was like, okay, but this is my fourth and you know, this isn't normal. So I think, you know, from the get go, I had that mother's instinct that something wasn't right. Mm-hmm. And, but, um, and I'm sure nowadays, you know, an ultrasound would have done, been done pretty quickly, but, um, I also liked not knowing what the sex was going to be. And so I wanted to be surprised. And so, I mean, I think they might've offered me an ultrasound at one point, but I turned it down. Um, and so when I delivered Ben, um, they didn't know right away that anything was wrong, but as like the minutes literally passed things just like were not going very well and um you know they had taken him back and i was getting stitched up and they kept coming back in and and saying you know well we think this or we think that and um you know and then eventually the news kept getting worse and worse and finally they were going to ship him up to dartmouth and they felt like he was having seizures so they wheeled me in when the transport t- team came and i got to say goodbye um, how,
0: how long postpartum is this? The, the
1: Like within two hours. Oh, shoot. Yeah, it was fast. Like when I say literally minute by minute by minute, it, the news just kept getting worse. Um, so I was wheeled in there and I remember watching him and he was having what they were called, what was called myoclonic jerking. And I said, that's what I felt inside of me. Exactly what he's doing. Um, and so they loaded him with some seizure medication, sent him up to Dartmouth and I was forced to stay the night in Laconia at the hospital. They wouldn't let me leave. So the next morning they finally allowed me to go and my husband went up and spent the night with him. But when I saw him for the first time, he was, um, he was hooked up to an EEG. He was intubated. He had like all the tubes and wires, Um, you know, probably like one of the most stressful, uh, intense scenes that you could ever witness with your child, Mm. especially being, you know, brand new. And, um, so we had a long, long meeting with the doctors and they told us basically that, um, after, you know, a bunch of tests that they ran on Ben, that his brain didn't develop when I was pregnant with him.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, it was some sort of genetic like autosomal recessive gene that both Steve and I carried um, and so anyway, um you know, at first, they told us that he wouldn't live, he wouldn't come off the ventilator, and so we had to kind of prepare ourselves mentally for that, and we brought our children up twice um to say goodbye and literally, the day after we had done that, um I remember the doctor sitting across from Ben in his vent and I was holding him and, you know, I would always get nervous because, you know, it just seemed like as the time passed, like you would just get worse and worse news. And so I was, I was ready for some more and he looked at me and he goes, I think he's going to be able to come off the ventilator and breathe on his own, which they didn't think he would. Mm -hmm. And so from there, it kind of gave me like this first glimmer of hope for him. And I was like, I don't care what he's like. I just want to take him home that was my, like, if I can just take him home, then I'll, I I don't care, Mm -hmm. you know, what it entails, we'll take care of him. And so, um, surprisingly for as severe as it was, um, he was only in the intensive care unit for 11 days. So he was extubated probably five or six days after birth. And then, um, you know, we, we spent a few days getting him, to take his feeds by mouth, which was really difficult, and looking back, I laugh at myself because I was so determined to feed him by mouth and thinking that that was what was best for him and um but after a month being home, you know he ended up with a g tube, so which was you know the best thing for him, mm-hmm. and required lots of medication, required lots of hospital stays, um, he eventually received a trache, a trachea at 15 months old, um, because he was just really struggling with his airway. Uh, he was, um, he, his biggest issue was his respiratory, um, system and because he would get a lot of pneumonias. And so we probably spent like a third of our year inpatient in the intensive care units every year like just off and on you know
0: so your local hospital or were you no this is Dartmouth.
1: this is Dartmouth so they became our second home we became very close with them and they were fantastic and they were like our second family it's like 90 minutes
2: okay okay
1: yeah so and Ben lived till he was eight he finally um passed away uh at I was actually at my sister's house with my kids for the weekend when it happened and um it happened in the middle of the night and um Probably something that was not ex- I did not expect not that i didn't expect his um him to pass away, but just I envisioned being in the hospital with him when it happened, and so it was kind of a shock and not being in my own home um was hard, but my sister was fantastic through it all uh My husband came down as fast as he could when he heard, and um that was probably one of the hardest days of my life, obviously. Cause even though you expected it, it still was a shock, you know, when it happens because you didn't know it was coming. So mm. he kind of went quietly in the night. And but I was in he was in my bed. So, you know, we kind of had like an ideal situation in an unideal situation. So mm. yeah. So that's the story of Ben. And um but I remember before that happened, I started having a desire to possibly one day foster or adopt other medically fragile kids because as hard as it was um it was such a rewarding experience and i loved it um i loved taking care of him i loved being his caretaker it was a 24 7 job um but it was like i said very rewarding so
0: yeah thank you for sharing this yeah just a couple just a couple things that I want to touch back on uh, about the mm-hmm. his story is so he you said he made it to the age of 8 mhm and uh he he died at your sister's house mhm in and, uh,
1: Massachusetts yep in
0: Massachusetts okay yep and uh it was there was no like prodromal, like kind of uh decrease of anything he just kind of passed yep Oh, dear. but And so one thing, uh, as, as I told you before the call, I was on the hospice and palliative care uh, team at the hospital here at Lehigh Valley. And for that month, it was, you know, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about, you know, how draining and painful these conversations are. And um, mm-hmm. I just, I guess a question for you, and I, I think I, I think I know the answer, but I, I still <laughs> want to pose it, is um, I see so often, uh, the you know, these conversations happening about like you, you know, getting the family together and then say, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, ostensibly seeing seeing the person for the last time. And it sounds like that happened to you twice, uh, very mm-hmm. early on in Ben's life. Um mm-hmm. and then and and there there's a certain beauty in being able to prepare for it like that. And mm-hmm. then there's also the eight years of life and struggle and, and hardship that you endured to get him to that eight, to those eight years. Mm-hmm. um i just i just don't even like is i i don't imagine you would ever trade those eight years of life with him but i guess yeah. i wonder like uh like i don't even know what question i'm asking i'm just trying to explore this idea do you, <laughs> uh, you, you know what i mean
1: yeah yeah um let's see i uh, it was just such I, I don't know how to explain it but um I had a lot of spiritual experiences through his eight years. Mm. And one of them, if you don't mind me, please. please, please. um, One of them being that um, I knew when we were taking him home that he would at least live until he was two. And Mm. so, you know, I had that, like I said, hope, um, like I did when I found out he would come off the ventilator. I had that glimmer of hope and I knew that he would be with us for two years of age like that spiritual confirmation. And then after his second birthday, um, I received a second one that would say he would live until he was eight, at least until he was eight. And so up until that point, um, I remember having many conversations with my mom because my mom's very, um, black and white and she loves to like be a realist and so she would often say you know where where are you going to bury ben where are you going to you know what are you going to do for funeral arrangements and i would always say mom i don't want to talk about it i'm just like that's not what i want to focus on i'm not ready um because she in the hospital when we when you know he was first born she told me that he, she and my dad purchased three plots and she you know didn't really know why um But after Ben was born, she was like, you know, maybe this is why we ended up buying three plots. And so she offered that, you know, if you would like to bury him with us, we would love for you to do that. And then off and on through the eight years, it was always, you know, what are you going to do? Have you bought, you know, a a plot yet? And and I would continue to continually say, Mom, I'm I'm just not, I'm not there yet. And um, I remember, like in the spring. So Ben was born in April. So his birthday was in April, and in the spring. Uh, before he turned eight, I all of a sudden, just like had this feeling that it was coming. Mm. Um, I knew.
2: Sorry. So I knew that.
1: That it was coming. And I just had this feeling and, but I also had this overwhelming peace that came over me and I was able to start talking about it. Like I was in this, like, you, you know, those, those roles of grief where you have acceptance Mm -hmm. and denial and all that kind of stuff. I feel like I was in that acceptance phase and I was okay with it. And so my husband and I started talking about his funeral and we started talking about where we wanted to bury him. And I was finally able to tell my mom you know we want to bury him with you guys and so we were able to have those confirmation those conversations that i was not able to have before and and i also had a conversation with his neurologist um he was in the hospital like march and like i said he turned 8 that next month and i told him i said i just know it's coming and so he passed away like a month and a half after his 8th birthday So it was, like I said, it was still a shock, but it was not a shock at the same time because I knew it was coming. So anyway, so I've had a lot of experiences like that with him. And it's just been like such an amazing experience having a child with medical needs because it doesn't just affect my husband and I, but, you know, my kids grew up with it and it has made them... uh, just amazing kids you know they're so much more compassionate they're so much more accepting of you know everybody and their hearts are huge and they love kids with disabilities so you know he was ben was a great teacher to our family
0: Mm. Uh, so it sounds like i think and i think the the question i was formulating in my head was uh, (laughs) With, with with this with these lovely bits of, of vulnerability that you've shared is is that I, I wondered I guess would you have wanted him to have gotten sick so that you would have had that pre- preparation time to really do it? But it sounds like you did on, in a in a way that was not spurred on by tragedy mm-hmm. or, or right. um And so that when he passed, it was it was more of a like okay, the, all that work was worth it, and mm-hmm. that all all those conversations you needed to have were worth it. Yep. I want to circle back though, and and. Because we' we've talked around we've talked about like the the practical applications of your faith in spirituality in terms of like you know the adoption and like the, walking the walk, but uh i'm I'm very interested to hear about those those messages that you received at when he was two and eight, and uh, I want to know, like can you would you be comfortable elaborating?
1: Yeah, um so we um believe in Jesus Christ, we believe in God, and we believe in the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. and, um, we believe that the spirit can prompt you can, um, you know, not necessarily, it's not like you hear voices, but you have thoughts. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I truly believe that that was, um, Heavenly Father's way of allowing me to prepare for his passing. And so he, you know, would prompt me with those thoughts and those feelings and of being prepared so that when the time came, it wasn't you know, just like life ending, Mm -hmm. you know, I was able to mentally prepare for that. So, um, you know, that's part of, um, our religion and what we believe. And, um, you know, there's a, I mean, I can, I can dive a little bit into, um, you know, what we, what we believe after death, because I don't believe that this is it. And I know that I know, you know, I believe with all my heart that I will see Ben again and that he will be whole, Mm
2: -hmm. you know,
1: Mm -hmm. um, we believe that that we are here for um, you know, to be tried to be tested. and that was Ben's test mm-hmm. was to be in a, a a limited body. um and he did a great job. and you know, I think he passed with flying colors. <laughs> um, so <laughs> everyone has their own trials and and challenges, and that was his, and that was part of our families. so mm-hmm. and either you, you fall apart or you grow stronger because of it and i know for a fact that we have become stronger mm-hmm. because of it so
0: yeah and uh and we will we got we got a whole prompt for the after you die part mm-hmm. so we will, we will definitely dive into that and mm-hmm. uh and i think that it's you know the the perspective that you're talking about in terms of the compassion that your children have uh towards others As a result of 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 fostering, you know, I think it's it's a very beautiful thing. Like, uh, you know, if you have all these healthy kids, they don't, you know, like it's it's it requires it 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 creates a different relationship that they have with health, where it's taken for granted. For Mm -hmm. understanding, like Mm -hmm. how how difficult how difficult can it be to simply stay alive. And mm-hmm. I think that is a very important and powerful message to give to children. And whether that's that's sustaining life through a medically fragile individual or whether it is, um, you know, taking them on a hunt and, and understanding like that for every life requires death. And so just mm-hmm. I think that that connection to the greater greater hoop of life is really important. I'm I'm just profoundly in awe of the of the difficulty with which that was learned. But I think that makes it a very earned lesson.
1: Yep absolutely and
0: Excellent. it's funny because
1: when you, you you know when you are little like when i was little it was not you know i'm going to be a, a mom of a medically fragile child you know that's not what i would have chosen for my life and that's where you know you hear like i don't know if you've heard sayings before where you know um like god kind of chooses our path and helps us along the way for what he feels like you know is best for us because What I what I felt my life, you know, the way. Let me let me think about this for a second. The way that I would have foreseen my life going is not the way it obviously ended up. But looking back, I would not change it. I would not have it any other way. And I know that he knows what's best for me and my family. So, Mm -hmm. so it makes having these trials and these situations um, it puts it in perspective. I think. And makes it a little bit more easy to handle, to bear. So,
0: and I think uh, you also mentioned like uh, there's a note of uh, it it has made your family stronger. And Mm -hmm. uh, I wanna touch on that the literal way because you also mentioned that you're a CrossFitter, right? Mm -hmm. And so that is one way you physically become stronger. And I just wanna understand, because I, as we talked about uh, before the interview started, is I kind of met you and coached you when you were very early on in that journey. And so I just wanna understand like what's going on there.
1: Oh, so I've always, um, been athletic. Um, I played basketball and soccer in high school. Um, I was a thousand point scorer for my high school basketball team. So the first one in my high school actually. So, um, (laughs) that's my claim to fame, but, um, I just have always loved being active and, and healthy and, um, you know, it's a little bit harder when you get out of high school and college, because then you kind of have to like force yourself and, and be disciplined that way. And being a mom, um, I kind of like ebb, ebbed and flowed through it all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I would find different avenues to, to work out or to try to stay healthy and fit. But honestly, um, you know, since I have found CrossFit, um, it's been like probably my most consistent um, regime. And it's also made me probably the healthiest and the fittest that I've ever been in my whole life, even in high school. So I love that. I feel strong. I feel healthy. Um, and I can say that without a doubt, my main reason is because I have medical, uh, medically fragile children. Um, currently I have a 13 year old who's 90 pounds. And so I have to lift him up and down stairs and in and out of cars. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's hard. And even being as physically fit as I am, it's still hard. Like, you know, I tell Joe all the time, like, Joe, why are you so heavy? (laughs) I lift lift every day and you still feel heavy. So I can't even imagine if I wasn't doing these things and, you know, um, I just, I want to stay healthy for my kids for as long as I can. So so that is my main reason for CrossFitting.
0: Mm. And um, yeah, there, I, I, I see a lot of beautiful uh, reasons for you to get into this uh, because mm-hmm. it, you know there's the functional, but then there's also the, uh, the 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 like the individual empowerment level of it as well. Yep. yep. Um, I guess uh, what what has have you like what has your relationship been? Uh, ha- like, has it changed in terms ha- as your, as your relationship with your own body or with, with fitness, with the barbell, like what, what, where have the changes been? And how do you notice that?
1: Um, so before CrossFit, I don't think I ever lifted a barbell ever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always considered myself fit, you know, running or hiking or whatever. But, um, the barbell is, I have come to love it. I absolutely mm-hmm. love the barbell and I love the way it makes me feel strong. So CrossFit is just one of those um, programs that like I've seen literally change lives and it definitely changed mine for the better. Mm -hmm. So,
2: yeah.
0: And there's also the community aspect of it as well. Going to the gym, going to Juggernaut. Um, is that, is that a lovely, like little reprieve for you to be able to like drop everything else and be like, I'm just going to be Becky for a little bit, the thousand.
1: Absolutely. You know, it's funny because with this latest, you've mentioned him briefly, but Liam is our latest, um, kind of foster child. And we had we had to redo our home study and in the home study, it talks about, you know, what do you do for stress and, or stress relief or whatever. And my number one answer always is to CrossFit mm-hmm. every day. I mean, I go, I make time for myself every day. Um, I do rest two days out of the week, so I shouldn't say every day, but five days a week consistently I have, um, you know, for three plus years now I have probably missed maybe a handful of times out of those three plus years going. So, I am very consistent with doing what I need to um mentally prepare for the day and you know to take on all the challenge and challenges and needs of my family mm-hmm. so CrossFit is a huge part of my life
0: mm, I'm yeah I'd hear that yeah uh, yeah there's um I also feel like there's some level of like uh,
2: mm-hmm.
0: of, uh you know like you like the the space dictates what fills it and mm-hmm. uh, and I see that in in your family like the you know the 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 loss of, of Ben but also how that made you grow and that made you able to grow your family with these medically fragile children uh, mm-hmm. but I also see that in terms of you and your your physical capabilities like with CrossFit like it, it it's challenging but it, for, it allows you this space to grow and to be capable in ways that you that might have been too challenging before, like having this 90 pound metricly like hauling him, you know, moving him around. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. see I see a lot of parallels where like you might not feel like you would do this in the future. You might not feel like you could have done it in the past, but mm-hmm. uh, but your capabilities are usually exceed your perceived limitations. At least that's
1: absolutely yep. Yeah, very much so.
0: Okay. Yep. And so we, I uh, think on the list of things that you, how you finished the prompt, I am, it was a uh, 45 year old, 25 year wife, um, four, uh, four kids, four adopted, um, and, uh, the CrossFitter. And then there was something else. At Religion. Religion. Yes. And we, we yeah. covered that a little bit and we'll definitely dive more into it. it. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else on that list?
1: That I was, uh, that I'm a joyful person.
0: Oh, you're a joyful person. Yeah. Talk about that. How is that? I... Uh, yeah.
1: I just, I love being happy. And I think (laughs) (laughs) I do, I I prefer being happy than otherwise. And I feel like I do a pretty good job on a daily basis of, um, you know, doing those things that bring me joy and, you know, kind of tying in a little bit with my religion. Um, you know, it like my favorite word is perspective and, you know, people might look at my life and think, man, I, I don't want that, or I could never do that. But I also can look at other people's lives and say, man, I'm so glad that I have the life that I do. And it makes me appreciate not having, you know, um, like myself, a physical handicap or a mental handicap or whatever it is that other people have challenges with, you know, um, people might look at my life and think that it's really hard, but I can look and at, you know, pretty much anybody and think, okay, I'm glad that I have what I do and I'm going to be happy in my life because I'm glad that I don't have what they have, you know? So perspective is one of my favorite words. It always kind of grounds me. So, yeah. yeah. And my mom was a happy person, oh, that. Helps. you know? Yeah. So, you know, growing up with a positive, happy, uh, you know, she would sing a lot and she would always, you know, try to see the positive. And so that's what I try to do with my family. So, cause life is good. It's, it's great.
2: Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's hard. I mean,
1: it's super hard, but it can also be great. So, yeah.
0: And so I think you, you kind of addressed this already, um, but the, the kind of avenue that I want to go down is, um, it sounds like your mother role modeled happiness and, and joy. Uh, so that it sounds almost like you, you kind of had that personality trait from the beginning and you've sustained
2: mm-hmm. it. Um, mm-hmm.
0: And along those lines, I wonder um, with the tragedy of Ben, Um, like, was that challenged? Was that, was that strengthened? Like, how, like, how is that being a joyful person? How was, you know, the crucible experience of losing a child? How, how is that affected by it?
1: Well, um, so I, obviously it it was hard. It was one of the hardest things that I'd ever gone through. But again, um, you know, I I am a very, very faith-based person Mm -hmm. and I, um, put a lot of stock into the things that I believe. In. And I know, you know, that, I'll, like I mentioned before that I'll see Ben again. And so that, you know, is a comfort in itself. And I know that I just have to do what I'm supposed to be doing here now until that time. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it I wouldn't say it challenged it. Um, just because like I said, you know, I had that belief beforehand and I knew, you know, it, it, I think it, I don't want to say that it was an easier um, death as opposed to somebody that like has this normal child. And all of a sudden, like tragically, they die in a car accident or something like Mm -hmm. that, where you don't have that time to prepare. I mean, I did have eight years of knowing, like, Mm -hmm. honestly, there wasn't a day that didn't go by when I had been that I was like, you know, how much longer, how much longer, like, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and worrying about stuff like that. But I just feel like, you know, I did have those eight years to prepare and, and as hard as it still was you know i it, it didn't it didn't shake my faith it didn't you know destroy me as a person um having my husband who also believes the same way that i do and you know um i mean i i feel like i was more of a puddle during that time and he was my rock and he you know was there <laughs> to support me but you know we we obviously overcame and um you know it's, it's not like we don't still miss them but I don't dwell on the loss. Um, one of my favorite quotes, I feel like I'm all over the place, but one of my favorite <laughs> quotes is is Dr. Seuss. Um, and he says, don't um what is it? It's don't now I'm drawing a blank. Don't cry because it's over, but smile because it happened or something like that, you mm-hmm. know? And and that's how I feel. Like I don't, I don't spend my days crying you know, because he's gone, but I actually, you know, spend a lot of time thinking about all the good memories that we have of him and, and knowing that I'll see him again. So,
0: yeah. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, so before we transition to the next prompt of before I die, <clears throat> I want to dive in a little bit to that transition from, from, you know, y- you know, you seeing that, that the end of Ben's life approaching and maybe a, a, a accepting within yourself, like, oh, I might, maybe I could adopt, you know, mm-hmm. and, then, and then from Ben's death to that first adoption and, and taking that first, you know, medically fragile life into your, into your arms. What was, what was that journey like?
1: Okay. So, <laughs> right. So after Ben died, um, I felt again, strongly, um, I felt like it was kind of, you know, um, a prompting again, that I should do foster care for these medically fragile kids. Um, I have to say that my husband wasn't a hundred percent on board at the time. I think he felt like, you know, um, because it, it's a lot on your kids, mm-hmm. you know, they they endured a lot. Um, but again, I feel like they also became stronger because of it. And so I was adamantly determined to um to do this, and I'm a very strong-willed person. And so <laughs> my <husband knows> that <laughs> he's very patient and um understanding of that. But I jumped right into um doing these foster care classes and for anyone that has ever experienced this it's a it's a huge process so you go through like 6 weeks of these intense classes and then you have this like 100 page home study that you have to fill out and they come and they interview you you have to have a health inspection and a fire inspection of your home and you know there's just all these different processes that you go through and it probably probably took me close to a year to finish. And during that time, I, you know, there were days where I doubted myself, like, what am I doing? You know, my kids are all self-sustaining. I'm in a good place. Like, you know, why do I want to, to add more to my plate? Um, you know, so there were days where I doubted myself. So I think that kind of slowed the process down, but so I started in the fall of 2010 because Ben passed away in the May previous to that. Mm. Um, and I, was just about done in the summertime of 2011 when I got a phone call about Joe. Um, his name was Javante at the time and he was six years old and he was in a a foster home and they wanted respite care. And so that was my first call and they were like, Hey, you know, would you be interested in doing respite care for this family? And I was like, okay, sure. Would you define respite
0: care for people?
1: So respite care is just, um, giving families a break for like a weekend, you know, mm-hmm. so just because it is 24 seven care. So it just allows them to kind of have a break. So um the DCYF showed up at my door with all of his information. I never met him. You know, at that point I hadn't met him. Um, they brought pictures. He was adorable. And while I was sitting there on my couch, I had this impression that he was going to be ours. And I remember thinking like, what, a, w- this is crazy because he's already in a foster home and you know, like they didn't want to give them up. And so why am I having these feelings? But I didn't say anything to anybody. We just kind of continued on with the process and we never got called from this family. Like they never called us. And so I kind of forgot about it. And then in August, so that was probably June. In August, I got another phone call and it was for a safe haven baby. Are you, do you guys know, do you know what a safe haven baby is? Okay. So, It's a law that was created to prevent um, dumpster babies or babies that were discarded, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. that were unwanted. And so they created this law so that uh, a pregnant woman could anonymously give her baby up as long as she brought it to like a police department or a hospital or a fire department, somewhere that is safe, you know, for the baby. And so, uh, Laconia got their first safe haven baby in like over 18 years. And so when that happens, the state, the baby becomes awarded the state. And so therefore, um, you know, for whatever reason we were called and, um, you know, my first question was, is he medically fragile? And they said, no, he's, he's actually a healthy, normal baby boy. And I remember feeling a little bit scared. Cause I was like, Oh, Well, that's not what I signed up for, (laughs) surprisingly, because, like, who doesn't want a healthy, normal baby boy, right? Mm -hmm. So I called my husband, and he was, like, over the moon. You know, my husband, who wasn't really on board with all of this, he was like, oh, my gosh, yes, because my husband was adopted as well. So anyway... So Brady, um, was our first baby and we brought him home at two days old and, um, you know, he was immediately a foster to adopt. So we knew that we'd be keeping him. And then, um, probably a couple months later, I got another phone call from DCYF and, and it was about Joe again. Um, and they said, you know, this family is still looking for respite care. I know you're really busy with the new baby. Is this something you still would consider? And I was like, yeah, Sure. And again, we didn't hear anything from them until about um, December We the week after Christmas, I got a knock on the door from DCYF and they came in my door and basically said, Hey, would you be willing to adopt Javante? Like out of the blue, had never met him, you know, only had that one uh, experience on the couch where they introduced kind of his background and stuff. And again, that feeling came over me. That he was supposed to be ours, and so uh, what well, I couldn't say no. So I was like, "Yes, we'll take them." So again, I remember my husband was very like, "Really, you know, is this this seems like a lot?" And that's when uh, we sat down and had a long conversation, and I I cried, and you know, because I knew that this is what we were supposed to be doing, and I, you know, he like he was over the moon with Brady. Like, so I would tease him. I'm like, you love him more than your own biological kids, which was not true, but that's how excited he was about Brady. And I said, you know, Steve, um, had I not pursued this, that then we never would have had Brady. Like, I feel like Brady actually was the reason why we were supposed to do this and that kind of opened his eyes. And from that point he was like hundred percent on board because he knew, he knew that was right. So, um, We, it was a long process with Javante, who we ended up naming, changing his name to Joseph, but, um, from January to June, it was kind of a a long transition process, but we finally got him in our home that following June. And then he was adopted like six or eight months later. And then, um, we had a couple other, uh, foster children, but, um, I knew Like with all my adopted kids, I've always had a spiritual confirmation. And with these couple of kids that we had um, in our home, I didn't have that. Um, And I never felt like they were supposed to be ours. You know, they were in our home for a period of time. Um, But I did have a dream about a little girl that was medically fragile and about two years earlier and um, my license had just expired and we got a phone call like... It would have been two years after uh, we got Javante and um when I answered that phone call they told me it was a little girl and you know she had medical issues I had that again spiritual confirmation that that was the baby that I had a dream about so you know she obviously came home and um we got her at four months old, and today she is four just over four years old, and she's been adopted as well. Her name is mackenzie
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then um and then I think we talked about this before the interview started, but um you know, I told you that my husband and I got to a point after Mackenzie, where we were like seven kids, I always wanted seven children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I felt like we were done and he felt like we were done, but obviously the Lord had different plans because, you know, here we are a year and a half later and, um, I've had phone calls from DCYF and I've never, you know, had a problem turning them down. I don't like turning them down because of course I'd like to rescue all of the children. But, um, anyway, this phone call came, um, about a month ago and, uh, it was an interesting phone call because it was an old caseworker. And, you know, she says, Becky, there's this baby who's five months old and, you know, that we need to place. And I was like, Linda, I told you, we're, we're done.
2: <laughs> and she's Part like, game, I, Linda.
1: I know, I know. but But, you know, I... Like I told, I told this other agency that you know I know this angel and and I know they'll be fantastic. And I was like, Linda,
0: you up so good, right?
1: Yeah, I was like, stop tempting me with babies. (laughs) But the whole time I'm thinking, my husband's going to be like, no, and I would be okay with that. Um, And so, jokingly, I sent this kind of Snapchat to my kids and my husband about this conversation. You know, fully expecting the, you know, nope. Um, but when my husband got home and he actually didn't get the Snapchat till he got home and I watched him open it and I was waiting for it and it never came. And I was like, what is happening? Why isn't he saying no? And so then it just like, kind of like he just smiled and that was it. And we didn't really talk about it that night. All we knew is it was this five, this five month old baby. That's all we knew. So I couldn't sleep that night. I could not stop thinking about this baby, could not stop thinking. So then I wake up and Steve was already at work and he had sent me a text and he said, Becky, I don't know what it is, but I cannot stop thinking about this baby. And I was like, oh no, (laughs) oh no. Cause I was, you know, it's like one of those things where you don't want to admit it, but when your husband admits it, it's like, Oh, we're on the same page and this is not good. (laughs) (laughs) So I wrote back and I was like, I same, I couldn't sleep. And so, um, DCYF promised me they would get me the information that day. And so about an hour later, after this conversation with my husband, they texted me the information and they said, We have the information that you need, and it's a little boy. Uh, We didn't even know the sex at at that point, so they said it's a little boy. His name is Benjamin, and he was born in April. And that's when I just started crying. And so I sent that information to my husband, and he wrote back, and he's like, I'm crying. And I was like, I know, so am I. And I was like, "I guess we're getting a baby, <laughs> so um, yeah, so we brought him home almost two weeks ago, and he is a very, very, very sweet baby. He has um you know some major brain malformation, he has what's called schizencephaly and polymicrogyria, so it's just a um you know, just to make it simple, it's just a, a malformation of his brain." So he'll probably be a lot like Joe and Ben, their full care. Uh, But he has been very, very difficult because he um, is very irritable and he has a lot of nerve pain in his brain. And so he doesn't sleep very well and he cries most of the day, most of the night. So it's been a huge challenge. And so it's just kind of one of those testaments to me where I think that Heavenly father thought that my life was a little too comfortable. (laughs) I was, I was in a good place and I was cruising along and he said, time for you to grow a little bit. So here we are. And, you know, if it wasn't for that confirmation that he is supposed to be here, I think I would have a really hard time with it, but because I know he's supposed to be part of our family, you know, it's so easy to love him. And, you know, my husband's been, beyond fantastic because there's days where i just i've cried because it's been hard mm. but he picks me up and he takes over and he he's that rock
0: when you're the puddle <laughs> i am <laughs> i
1: am often so i'm very lucky to have him he's been very good so yeah so that's where that's my current situation right now but like i said you know, life is hard, but there are so many joyful and happy moments that make it worth it. So, mm.
0: so, uh, respecting your time. Um, I, I just want to touch on, on two <clears throat> things before we move on to the next prompt of, um, I wonder, um, two things. One, the first one is, is, you know, when you found out this boy's name is Benjamin, yep. changing his name to Liam, what was that story about?
1: Um, well, you know, because I already have a son, Benjamin, we actually kept it as his middle name in okay. kind of like in memory. And because mm-hmm. he I really feel, you know, that was like, the sticking point that would make us realize that yes, he's supposed to be here. You know, I mean, if of all the signs, like, <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: how can mm-hmm. you ignore that? So we did keep his middle name as Benjamin. Um, it was kind of a fun process because, um, you know, when my kids were little, they were not involved in name in the names of each other, you know, but, um, with this process, we had a group message going because I have kids all over (laughs) and, uh, you know, they were all excited about this new baby. And so I was like, Hey, we, we need to come up with a name. And, um, so they all helped in that process. And my oldest daughter, Kayla, um, was the one that first suggested Liam and she loves that name and and so after like three or four days of going back and forth with everybody um that's the one that we settled on and and when you look up the meaning it 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 says uh it means strong-willed warrior and that's what he is for sure Mm. so so liam benjamin orton will be his name so
0: that is his name
1: yeah good name yeah
0: and then the other question that I have for you is, and this might relate to the autosomal recessive nature of what caused Ben's issues in the first place, is that, is that sort of why you, I mean, I guess it's a question, and I'm, I'm projecting, of course, wild mm-hmm. speculation on my part is, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like a, a, a strong instinct after the loss of a child would be to have another child of your own, biologically. Mm-hmm. What, what was mm-hmm. that, like, what was that question for you?
1: Um, so yeah, that's something that I obviously haven't told you about. And I'm um, a lot of people know, but some people don't. Um, but actually I did w- before Ben passed away. Um, we actually lost two pregnancies at 20 weeks and 16 weeks, oh, two God. baby girls. So, um, and after that second pregnancy, I, I just had a really, really, really hard pregnancy. I was, um, I had a port put in because of, um, super being super sick with a hyperemesis. So vomiting. Yeah. And I was, I was on TPN.
0: Uh, Yeah. Yeah.
1: it, It was horrible. And so, um, anyway, I just wasn't able to, for whatever reason, I don't know if it had anything to do with what Ben had, or if it was just how bad my pregnancies were. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't sustain past the 20 weeks and that second pregnancy that I lost, um, uh, ended up, um, having a hysterectomy, an emergency hysterectomy because I, I couldn't stop bleeding and I, yeah, so, so I was done. Yeah. And that's why, um, we consider Brady a miracle baby because, you know, how many people literally get a healthy baby boy dropped into their laps, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, in fact, we had a lot of people say, how do, how do I, how do I get on that list? (laughs) And it's like, uh, don't, there is no list. It's just, you know, it was a gift from God really. Mm -hmm. Um, and I tell people it was my easiest pregnancy ever (laughs) get the phone call. And two days later, you have a baby boy in your home. So, yeah.
0: Uh, quick question. I just want to time this like in, in my head, the timeline of things. So there was Ben and then there was the, uh, Ben's death. Then there was kind of getting on board uh, with the fostering adoption process that kind of like six week year that you're talking about. Then you kind of heard about Joe, then you got Brady. Uh, but where were these two pregnancies in that kind of that timeline?
1: So actually they were before Ben passed away.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, during yeah, that eight so, years. I understand. Yeah.
1: So 2008, 2009 i lost the two i i had that emergency emergency hysterectomy in 2009 and then ben passed away in 2010
0: i see. so oh, yeah okay yeah i see so yeah yeah, that's, uh, yeah so
1: after ben you know had passed away i i wasn't able to have kids of my own anyway
0: i see Got yeah. It. And then it was just like a choo choo on the adoption train. <laughs> yes,
1: yes. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's how it
1: happened. I see. Yeah. If
0: you want a big family, that's like, yeah, that makes sense.
1: Really, I mean, having like those awful pregnancies, of course I would do it again, you know, my kids have been worth it. But like having these adoptions is like, wow, it's so much easier.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, one of the my funniest stories that I love to tell people is that I was into water skiing at the time when Brady, when we got, I actually was on the boat. Um, when I got the phone call for Brady and we, you know, brought him home on a Thursday and I was back out on Saturday. I had him at the dock in his little car seat and, um, you know getting my stuff ready to go and we had his like little teeny infant life jacket on and but i had a blanket over his car seat and i remember this woman was walking past and she was like oh you know you have a baby how old's your baby and i was like three days old and she looked at me and i was like i know right like because i you know mm-hmm. didn't look pregnant i didn't look mm-hmm. like i just had a baby so i just ran with it and you know <laughs> yeah,
0: like I, you're superhuman
1: right it. yeah. yeah it's fine." Mm. so anyway
0: yeah yeah and also you know there's this whole thing about like uh that you touched on really briefly is that like uh with liam uh with how difficult his you know caring for him is it you know maybe you know the lord thought you were a little too cozy and then was like, mm-hmm. let's, just, let's just really test this lady and see how mm-hmm. strong her faith is and how strong she uh really believes this it's a very funny thing because uh we for, like i just i feel that you know, like I talked about, like that's sort of like a theme within your life. It seems like Mm -hmm. Um, also I under, I feel that same thing as well because we, uh, well, we were um, right before we were to find out about this child that we're about to have. Um, back in March, we were in the process of adopting this big, beautiful dog, Honey. Um, yep. Her owner, and so we got this dog, and we're like, okay, great, we have a dog in our life. This is wonderful. Now we're gonna have to go through all these changes and growth to like take care of this dog. And then a couple of weeks later, we find this, you know, positive pregnancy test. And we're like. Holy crap! This is going to be. Let's buckle up on the growth train because we're growing a lot, and it's just uh, you know, yeah, it kind of happens all at once. But it's uh, that's you know, these are periods of immense growth that I would not change. But they, it would be nice if they were spread out a little bit, a little right. But
1: But you'll find that through life. I mean, because I'm a lot older than you, and it just seems that that's just how life goes. Mm -hmm. You know, you kind of like it ebbs and flows. You kind of get into this comfortable spot, and then all of a sudden, boom. and more growth. And then, you know, you kind of figure it out. So I keep telling myself, you know, this is going to pass because I've, this is a new experience for me. I've never had a, a like really crying, irritable, you know, no sleep kind of situation. All my kids have always been fantastic. And so it's a new, a new, uh, avenue for me. And I just tell myself that eventually this too shall pass, you know, and we'll get past this hard stage and and I'll look back and be like, man, I'm, I'm glad I'm out of that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, so right. so uh, how do you finish that next prompt before I die? I want,
1: uh, before I die, I want to, uh, actually one of my other dreams is to serve a humanitarian mission with my husband. Mm. So our church does, offers a lot of missions. Uh, my children have served missions and, um, You know, it's very common for kids around the 19 to 23 year old age bracket to serve missions, but I got married, so I didn't, Mm -hmm. um, two of my children have served missions, which I think is fantastic. And so that's one of my dreams, but I would love it to be like a more of a humanitarian and like in a third world country, Mm -hmm. I've just always had that dream. So that's one of the things that I would like to do before I die.
0: Uh, that's a lot. I mean, I think you could argue that just, uh, you know, with this adoption process fostering, you know, you're doing, yeah. a you're doing a long, you know, yes. Uh, yes. then I guess the question would be of like timing, because, you know, you have these people that mm-hmm. in your life that have some that, you know, they don't demand, but they require so much love and care yep. on a daily basis. Uh, what yep. uh, Have you thought about how you would literally time and schedule that?
1: Well, I mean, obviously the children that I have, like their life expectancy is not as long as others. Um, and so I, I wouldn't leave them to do it. And so, you know, it would just depend on like how long, I mean, cause Mackenzie's her syndrome, she has what's called ODO it's O-H-D-O. Um, and, and it's a rare syndrome. And so we don't know a whole lot about it. So I don't know like what her life expectancy will be. So, I mean, if it ends up that I don't end up serving a humanitarian mission in, in this lifetime, I'm okay with that. Um, because like you said, I'm, that's kind of what my calling is anyway. Um, but it just, w- it, I think it would be fun to do if I was able to
0: do it. So. Yeah. Fun. Uh, you know, it'd be like a bonus. Like it'd be cool. It'd yes. like plus, but uh, yes. yes. And I, I guess, I guess, I mean, you know, you say that it'd be fun to do the humanitarian mission, but it's, all. I guess the question is like, would, I guess, would this always be like a vacation for you and your husband? You know, <laughs>
1: Probably. Like, yeah.
0: Right? You, know, you have so much, yeah. you know, so much on your plate and like, yeah, would this, would this be a way to go travel to an exotic place with your husband for a little while? Yes. But also help. A lot is that sort <laughs> of what's happening?
2: Yes,
1: here? absolutely. <laughs> yes. Very much so.
0: Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> All right, so that's a great, yeah, that's a great, you know, uh, before I die, I want, is there anything else on that list?
1: Um, just to be able to travel to see my children and as they marry and have kids, I would love to be able to, because I'm, I'm pretty sure they're probably not going to be my neighbors. Mm. Um. So I don't know where life will take them, but I want to be able to travel and have that luxury of being able to see them and, you know, my future grandchildren. Mm. So, because no grandchildren Nope. Oh, no, nope. okay. my oldest is 23, so nobody's married yet.
0: Gotcha. So three in college. Ah, I see. So it's, you know, they're in the pipeline, so to speak. Oh, they're absolutely. Not...
1: <laughs> and my oldest is a lot like me, so she she wants to be a wife and mom. That's her greatest desire. So it'll happen. Mm-hmm.
0: I guess uh, one question that I have for you going forward into that future of grandparenthood is like, um, you know, how what would that... How, what would that even look like and feel like that transition? Because you're so very much within the parent space. I
2: know, I know.
0: Baby. So it's a, well, do you even know what it would feel like to be in that grand, grandmother, grandparent role? Because it is such a very different relationship, right? But it's right. You're also so much in the parent. So what do you think about that?
2: I,
1: you know, I, I, I'm okay that my kids are not there yet because I'm not there yet. And it's funny because my husband um, before Liam came along, you know, he was like, When are you guys gonna get married and give me a grandbaby? And I was like, Whoa, not there. We're <laughs> not old, there yet. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, at that point Mackenzie was three and um, but you know, I I think it'll still just be amazing and wonderful when it happens. I'm excited. Um, I can I I mean, obviously I I can wait because I'm still, like you said, in that young parent mode with young children. Um, But I want to um, be that grandparent for my kids when it happens um, and not kind of be stuck in that parent role. I want to kind of transition and and be that kind of grandparent that they want, that they need.
2: Mm. So
1: when when it gets to that point, so I'll be ready when it
2: happens.
0: Yeah, it seems like you are you are really receptive to the signals that are you know that that come to you when it's like time time to move on, Becky. <laughs> right.
1: Egg, absolutely. <laughs> yep.
0: All right. So, uh, um, how do you finish that next prompt? When I die, I want.
1: Um, when I die, I want to leave behind
2: a legacy of love. Mm-hmm. You got me all emotional today,
1: Eugene. I'm a psychiatrist.
0: (laughs) That's my job.
1: (laughs) It's the lack of sleep, I think. I'm going to blame it on that. (laughs) But just I just want people to know how much I loved. And I want that to be passed down to my children and their children. Mm -hmm. So, yep. And to be happy. So, because that's the most important thing, I think, is to just to love and to be loved and to be happy
2: so yeah
0: mm. is that um is, is what what would that look and feel like for them to know that as you're dying um is it just through the 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 legacy of of all the effort time that you have put into all these people in your life and these relationships and maintaining them and and being present for them or is it uh like would you want is there like a message that you know like how how will they know this like
1: oh I think it's through example because, you know, I, I've talked a lot about my mom, but you know, that's the way I look at her. And and I know that that's what she's left. She hasn't passed yet, but you know, she definitely has left a trail of love. Her, Her legacy is love and all the people that she has cared for. I mean, I, you know, I didn't mention this, but aside from the foster kids, I mean, she was the type of person that would you know, see a person in the grocery store that looked like they needed a a dinner and they would end up at our house, you know, complete stranger, like, and I'm, I I kid you not like this happened a lot, you know, somebody (laughs) walking, walking in a snowstorm, you know, this old man, I remember we picked up on the way home from church and he came to dinners on Sundays for like a few months after that, you know, so that's just who she is. And that's who, you know, I've tried to emulate. And I, I would love for my children to emulate that as well.
0: Mm, yeah, that, uh, leadership by example is yep. the strongest form of leadership. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah, I guess, uh, what, a question that I have for you, and I think it might have been Ben, um, but was, what was the, and especially since you, it sounds like your mother's alive, but I'm not sure about your father, but is what yes. are, what are the deaths that have affected you greatly? Uh, um,
1: um, honestly there, you know, I still have my parents, um, you know, I, I've lost my grandparents, but I don't feel like they were like significant, um, everyday roles in my life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was sad, but, um, really it was, uh, Ben, mm-hmm. I think, I think really is the most significant. Sorry. Are you there? Yeah, I'm still here my My son was calling um so I feel like when my parents pass, that will be really hard but mm-hmm. but but really it's it's been mm-hmm. has been the most significant,
0: yeah, and I mean, I think you will i mean, unfortunately you will have you will have been very well prepared because the whole, like, order of things, like, the the natural course of the world is one in which um, a, a child should be orphaned,
2: uh, mm-hmm.
0: you know, and, and not the other way around, where parents mm-hmm. are orphaned, and uh, yep. you, know, you having to go through that experience, I think, it will have, unfortunately, made you very, pre- you know, not prepared, but, like, at least ready for that. Yep,
1: yep, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because I think um, more so than losing your parents, I think the death of a child is harder for sure. Um, you know, not that my parents passing away won't be hard, but, um, you know, I feel like, like you said, it'll, I'll be a little bit more prepared for that when it happens. Mm -hmm. So.
0: And we talked about the legacy you want to leave, but have you thought about that transitional moment from life to death? Are there any experiences that, you you know, you've had, any near-death experience, any imagination of what that transition of from life to death will look like or feel like?
1: Um, I haven't thought a whole lot about it, but I remember as a child feeling scared about it. You know, like, interesting, um, you know, I had a conversation with my seven-year-old the other day, and, and he, I remember feeling the way he did. You or he does about you know not wanting I don't want to die, like who wants to die, right? Mm-hmm. But as you get older and you go through these experiences um and knowing that I have something to look forward to it I'm not afraid of dying, of course, you know, I would like to be here to raise you know the children that need me right now mm-hmm. um, you, you know i would I would be sad if something were to happen to me because of them, um but you know. Uh, at some point, when maybe they've all passed away, um, you know, I, I'm it's death does not scare me at, at all. And I mean, I hope it's a peaceful death and not a, a tragic one, but um, but yeah, I have no fear of because I know that I will be reuni- reunited with my loved ones on the other side. So,
0: mm-hmm. and we'll talk about that, we'll move on to that prompt in, in just one second, but I just want to touch on this. Um, I think it's very. Beautiful the pragmatic awareness you have about the mortality of the medically fragile children that you have in your life. Um, I, you know, I've I mentioned to you, I adopted this dog and she's 11, and it's like I, I know she's gonna die, and I know that that you know she, the, the, the child that I have will probably not remember honey. I, I hope mm-hmm. that he does, but that's a very pragmatic awareness that I have, and that allows me to to express love to her in a way that is different than assuming that I will have her forever. And, um, I -hmm. wonder how does that color your relationship with these children?
1: Um, you know, it's interesting because having gone through that, like people are like, how, how do you do it? How, why would you want to do that again? Mm -hmm. But you know, it's going to come right back down to my faith based religion and what I believe and and knowing that, you know, first of all, that everyone needs a loving home. Everyone deserves to have a loving home. Um these children are no less um deserving, you know, even though they have severe mental um handicaps, physical handicaps. Um but just the joy of like there's just something about these children and their spirits are so pure and they're they're just like contagious to be around and so it's hard to think about losing them when i get to enjoy that every day Mm. um obviously you know i do think about it and it's not something that i look forward to but i know it will happen but again you know it's this this lifetime is for a short time but you know when they're gone in this lifetime i will see them again so Mm. so perspective
0: a lot of perspective helps. Yes. You said, so, um, how do you finish that final prompt after I die? I want,
1: um, it, I don't know. It kind of goes along with the, the third one after I die. I want to see my children continue that legacy and just be good humans and mm-hmm. to make the world a better place. So that's what I mostly want. And to be able to see them again,
0: you know. Usually, I would, uh, I would usually poke people a little bit more about this. Like, what exactly do you mean? Like, you know, yeah. trying to like flesh out that. But I feel like it is very clear from from what you we've talked about already. Like, what that and the depth of what that means is 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 deeper than most, and I think truer um, just by the the lived example that you've had. Yeah. Um, do you? you know with, especially when you're are talking about you know imagining the future deaths of the current children that you're caring for and you know imagining this you know future where you're going this wonderful vacation with your husband where you're also helping people in a humanitarian <laughs> way um how far and, and also un, and acknowledging the fact that you're not sleeping very much with the care of, of Liam um how far in the future do you think um right now like how like what's what's like when you when i say future what do you think of
1: um i so you mean as far as like projecting like going on this trip or i don't even know
0: just like when like what does the vague idea of future mean to you like did do you do you think about it specifically around you do you think about um the the children that you care for your family or do you think about like a wider circle of future like the 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 plants in your area like you know what i mean like how like Mm -hmm. when when i say future who does the future apply to
1: Oh, just, uh, more so more than just in the home, like affecting the people around me, obviously not the whole world because, you know, people on the other side of the world have no idea who I am, but just Mm -hmm. kind of that ripple effect of like the people that you interact with on a daily basis, Mm -hmm. you know, outside of your family.
0: Yeah. And it seems to me that you affect them. You, you, you might not affect many people, but the people that you do affect, you affect deeply. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. that, that's and, why I wanted to call talk with you, you know, because you're awesome. Yeah, <laughs> this <laughs> and, has been fun. Yeah. And so I know I know we got to go, um, but I just want to ask, uh, you know, for, for this past hour, we've do- dove into a lot of really good stuff. Um, and I really am thankful that you were able to we were carved this time out and that you were able to be so vulnerable with me and um, the audience. And I just want to give you the last few moments, last few minutes to address the audience directly, whoever's listening, maybe somebody who has lost a child, maybe somebody who is uh, thinking about adoption and fostering, um, or just somebody who's like, oh, this Becky lady is really cool. And I just want to hear what what word of wisdom she has for me. Um, The floor is yours.
1: Oh, I would say, um, I mean, I've had a few people reach out to me about like the process of fostering to adopt, but that is like my biggest platform. There are so many children that need homes. So many children, especially with like this drug epidemic, Mm -hmm. you know, so many babies are being taken away. And so, um, uh, you know, had I, had I known, obviously I wouldn't go back and change, you know, my biological children, but had I known maybe sooner, I wouldn't, I would maybe would have like adopted in between having biological children as well. But the need is just so great. And, um, it's the most rewarding experience that you can have. And, you know, I say that like a hundred percent, like I don't know what could be more rewarding than um, taking in a child that needs a home. So I encourage people to do it.
0: <laughs> and I hope, I hope uh, even myself that I will be able to step up to that plate. Cause it's a, uh, it's a daunting idea just to take care of a child mm-hmm. that, you, that you're growing yourself, you know, brewing mm-hmm. yourself, but it's a, uh, that's a whole other uh, you know, you know, idea so yes thank you so much yes you're welcome so becky this has been a really great pleasure um I yeah thank you so much
1: i appreciate you asking me to do this it's i was nervous but it's been a lot of fun so thank you Uh,
0: this has been becky orden on death